Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as your Son feeds the 5,000, we learn that he is sufficient for us and for the whole world who trusts in him. Help us to trust in his ways and live in his ways. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So, the other day, I I already told Julie this, so I'm not going to get in trouble, probably, unless she forgot. The other day, we we went out to do something, and we had an extra, like, 15 minutes, and we were driving by the Y, and Julie's like, well, I I think I'd like to go in and and take a quick swim, and I said, okay, that's, that's great, and I'll sit here, and I'll make a call that I needed to make, and about halfway through the call, I forgot why I was sitting in the car, and I just about put it into drive to drive off, because I was like, well, I'm in the Y, so I must be done at the Y. I didn't, and I, and I told my friend that I was talking to, like, don't, if you hear me driving, make sure Julie's with me. And I have a bad habit, and, and you probably don't notice it too much, because Daniel's trained me to use my, my calendar obsessively, but I have a bad habit of losing track of what I'm doing and where I am, and and the time. And sometimes I'll get so absorbed in what I'm doing, all of a sudden, you know, whether it be an interesting question that I'm trying to figure out or, or, or talking to somebody like I was the other day, enjoying the conversation, I, I miss lunch, I miss, an, you know, I miss resting, I miss all of these things. And busyness has a way of doing this. It has a way of distracting us from even the most basic things like making sure that we eat a meal. And this is where we meet the disciples this morning. They, they got sent out, and I can only imagine how exciting it was for them. They got sent out. We hear that they, they taught and, re- and, and preached, and they healed. And they come back, and they're telling Jesus all these wonderful things. And, and of course, it sounds like people followed them because they were like, wow, these people are on to something. Let's go meet this man. And, and so Jesus attempts to kind of draw them away, draw them away so that they can rest and so that they can eat. And he draws, tries to draw them away to a desolate place. And, and desolate places have these interesting way of being refreshing, right? That's why we like going on vacation in, in quiet places because we can turn off our phones, we can turn off all the noise of the world and sit and read a book or just be quiet together. And obviously they didn't have cell phones, but you get the point. They, they just want this quiet place so they can rest, and so they can eat. And, and it seems like this they couldn't even eat is this weird, extre- extraneous detail, right? If you were reading this devotionally in the morning, you'd probably hit that point and just keep going and not, not think anything more about it. But I want you to encourage you, just remember that they couldn't even eat, because it's going to be really important as we continue to move through this passage. So they get in the boat, and they attempt to draw, withdraw to this desolate place. And, and he says to them, come. And it's not like, hey, guys, if you want to, let's go and, let's go and relax on the beach over there. It's, it's, it's a command. Jesus is saying, come and rest. And it starts to remind us that Jesus invites the weary-hearted. Jesus invites the weary-hearted like you and I to rest in him. And tells us all that he is sufficient 
for that rest. Right? Think about that communion sentence that we read week in and week out. Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. And he says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. See, already we're getting a hint at where we're going with this passage. Jesus is reminding us that he is sufficient for our rest. So they leave in a boat to find this desolate place, and the crowd sees them going, and the crowd is all excited, and they run along the shore. Now, I've spent a fair amount of time exploring the shoreline. I don't know if if you have. If you haven't, I'll tell you about it. It was actually something I really enjoyed doing. I, I liked going for walks when I lived in Maine, but, but sometimes when I just wanted to slow down, it'd be fun to just kind of find a path along the shoreline. And find a path is a very relative term. Because when you walk along the shoreline, you have to be really, really careful because there's rocks and, and it changes. You, one moment you could be walking along a nice little beach. The next moment you're scrambling over rocks. The next moment you're hoping you don't get arrested for trespassing on somebody's front lawn. And so it's amazing what we see here, right? They're they're going along the shoreline, and somehow they're so desperate to find out more about this Jesus guy that they get there before him. They do all of this scrambling, all of this running, and they get there before him. And as they get off the boat, Jesus sees the crowd that has followed them. Now, perhaps you all are substantially better people than I am, which is very likely. But when I walk in the door and, and there's like a hundred questions to greet me and everybody wants something, I have a really hard time having compassion. I, I suspect that most of you know what I mean. You walk in the door and your spouse wants something or the dog needs attention or your friend is calling or you have a friend that's just having a hard time. And it's like every other minute they're sending you another text about something and you're like, my goodness. But notice what happens with Jesus. He doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't get snippy. He has compassion on them. My friends, Jesus is never annoyed with your wants and with your needs. It may feel like, and I've had conversations with people who are struggling, they're like, I just... I feel so bad that I keep asking Jesus the same question. I feel like, why would he want to listen to me anymore? But he never, ever gets annoyed with your needs. How amazing is that? He always delights when you call on him. And not only that, is he calls you to recognize that he is sufficient for you. My friends, that's amazing. And then Jesus has compassion for one specific reason in this case. He sees them and he recognizes that they are like a sheep without a shepherd. Now this phrase pops up periodically periodically throughout the Old Testament. And Mark is drawing on those those points to help us understand Jesus' calling and who Jesus is to these people and to us. In Numbers, God tells Moses 
that Joshua will be his successor in order that Israel would not be like a sheep without a shepherd. In 1 King, it is used to describe Ahab's army after Ahab is killed. They're like a sheep without a shepherd, without a leader. In Ezekiel, it describes how the leaders fail to live up to their calling. And therefore, Israel is like a sheep without a shepherd. And finally, in Zechariah, we see it where people become helpless because their leader, most likely a messianic leader, has been taken away. And this phrase does several things, not only rooting this passage back in the Old, understanding of lead, Old Testament understanding of leadership, but this phrase also connects this back to the passage last week where John the Baptist is beheaded. And they no longer have a prophet to lead them. But it also tells us of the entire state of leadership in Israel and more specifically in Galilee at this time. Right? If, if I were to say the car was driving like it was, didn't have a driver, you would immediately know what I was saying. That driver's really bad, right? And, and that's what he's saying here. The leadership has just fallen apart in Israel. It also tells us of the hunger of the Galileans, how they desperately wanted leadership. I, I, I like watching sheep. I, I think they're really fascinating creatures. That, they're actually really dumb creatures, but I, I love them probably for that reason. And, and they just kind of wander around until they're corralled back in by the shepherd and, and brought wherever they're going. And, and that's the reason why so often people use that like as, a, as an insult to their political enemies. Oh, you guys are just sheep and following without thinking. And that's what he, Jesus sees here. They're just, they're just being sheep, wandering desperately. And so we see this desperate state of the people. Whether they knew it or not, they desired and needed someone to guide them. So Jesus sits down and starts to teach them. And the day gets late and the disciples beg Jesus to send the people away. Now, now, it could be that they had compassion on the people and just wanted to make sure that they ate and got home safely, but I think what is more likely is here is they're so tired and they just want a little bit of peace. But Jesus' response is not what they expected it to be. He says to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And we probably shouldn't read the apostle or disciples' responses as being, as being a really serious suggestion because 200 denarii is a lot of money. It's about half a year's wage, or, or in our culture, our day and age, probably like $35,000. And of course, you'd probably need at least that much, if not more, to feed a crowd of that size. It's unlikely that they would have even had that much money not to mention if they did have that much money that they could find somebody to make that much bread to feed the crowd. So I think they're, they're almost rolling their eyes at Jesus and going, well, really, that's, that's a great idea. <clears throat> but Jesus isn't flustered and he asks them to do a survey of the food that they brought. Now think about it. If you, if you go camping or if you go on a trip and you're planning on eating your own food, chances are you bring enough food for you and 
your spouse and if you have children with you or any friends that might be eating with you. So you know, I need this much food and so I'm going to pack that much food and I'll be all set. And when they ask, and when Jesus asks them what they have, they say five loaves and two fish. Now when you think of loaves, it's really tempting to maybe think of like, Julie really likes the baby boule thingies at the grocery store. You know, about that big. You can probably feed three or four people with them if that's all you're eating. Or, or like a loaf of bread that you get in the plastic bag. And that's not what this bread is. It's more like a piece of pita bread, right? You, you know the bread, it's about that thick and about that big. And it really feeds just about one person. It's barely enough for one person, in fact, let alone 5,000. In other words, just for themselves, the apostles are seven loaves of bread short, or eight, I guess. I didn't think of Jesus when I counted. Um, So eight loaves of bread short. And, And again, keep this math in mind because it becomes really important as we continue through this story. And then the passage circles back to the beheading of John the Baptist. Not explicitly, but implicitly. In verse 39 and 40, it describes the group as sitting down by hundreds and fifties. And the description of how the the groups sit down recalls how one would sit down at a Middle Eastern dinner table during this time. It's not like us, you get the chair out and you pull it up and you get your table out and all that. They, They would recline. So it tells us that they recline on the grass. Just as Herod Antipas's guests reclined at the dinner table during his festival, during his feast. But this starts to, we start to see how this second feast is the better feast. And then Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set them before the people. If this sounds familiar, I'm very glad because that means you've been paying attention during church. If it doesn't, I'll give you a little hint right now. And Jesus, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them all and said, and they drank it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink of it again, of the fruit of the vine, until the day when I drink of it in the new kingdom of God. This rightly, Mark's Mark's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper is by far the simplest, because Mark's account is probably the earliest, and at this point, everybody's doing it how they were supposed to do it, and, and it didn't need to be corrected by by the Gospels later, and eventually St. Paul in his epistle to the Corinthians. But it is meant to recall the Lord's Supper as he describes this, because it's a foretaste of the Eucharistic feast. It's a foretaste, which is a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is not only providing the apostles and the crowd with physical with physical necessities. He's providing them with their spiritual necessities. He's inviting them into something more than just bread and fish. 
<clears throat> and then we read that they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. <clears throat> I, I've been on mission trips before, and one of them we were trying to feed this big group of kids, and we miscalculated and didn't have nearly enough food, and the lady who was cooking was all freaked out, as, as would make sense. But somehow, we still managed to feed all of those kids. And I've heard this from other people who've gone on mission trips or live in the mission field and that sort of thing, how God just appear, shows up and provides in ways that are beyond our wildest imagination. And so think back to those numbers that I wanted you to keep in mind. How the apostles were, were eight loaves short for just themselves. And this is really important because some moderns have, have decided to read this as a miracle of inspiration, not a miracle of provision. A miracle where Jesus inspires the crowd to share what they had with their neighbors, which in and of itself is not a bad idea. If you have plenty and your neighbor has want, share with him, share with her. But this is not what's happening here. In fact, the text makes it impossible to read it because they didn't even have enough for themselves. And yet where they started with this lack of provision, Jesus sufficiently provides so they're all satisfied, so that they are completely satisfied. And it concludes as we learn that Jesus feeds 5,000 men most likely, it wasn't just 5,000 men, but there were also probably women and children there, uh, many more, so, so even more than 5,000 people. And they take up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Again, you might be catching on, this is not just a random number. It's not just a random number, but it is meant for you to hear that number 12 and to recall the 12 tribes of Israel. At this point, Jesus had just one small foray outside of Israel into Gentile territory and then quickly came back. And so it's still very clear that Jesus' mission is primarily to his people, primarily to Israel. And so we're meant to understand here that Jesus is sufficient not just for his apostles, not just for the 5,000 men and the women that were with them and the children that were with them, but Jesus is sufficient for all 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is sufficient for all 12 tribes of Israel, and not only that, but for the whole world that would trust in him. Now remember, back to the start of the passage, that other thing that I told you to keep in mind, I know that was a while ago. <clears throat> but remember how the apostles were so busy that they couldn't even eat or rest. Notice that Jesus invites them with the 5,000 to recline, to recline in green pastures, as in Psalm 23. Jesus becomes the shepherd for his apostles, for the 5,000, for all of Israel, and for all who would trust in him so that he may lead them into green pastures, so that they may rest, so that we may rest and be refreshed. Jesus provides them with enough food 
for 5,000 and for all of Israel and for all of us. Jesus has provided a better feast than the one that left, every, a better feast that left everyone satisfied, which is a stark contrast to the feast that we read about last week, a stark contrast to Herod's feast, which was rich with sin, which never satisfies. If we read Herod's, the account of Herod's birthday feast carefully, we see that there was want for revenge, there was gluttony, there was drunkenness, there was greed, and there was lust. Want for revenge, even getting revenge, never satisfies. Gluttony never satisfies. Drunkenness never satisfies. Greed never satisfies. Lust never satisfies. But Jesus' simple feast of fish and bread satisfies his apostles completely. Satisfies the crowd completely. If it were, if they desired such, it could satisfy Israel completely. And the Eucharistic feast, which we gather around this morning, satisfies you, can satisfy you completely. Because Jesus is provision is sufficient. In Christ, you can find physical, emotional, and spiritual satisfaction. And not just sparingly as the world so often gives, but in abundance. His satisfaction is sufficient and available for all who might come to taste and see. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.